0: Ed, how are you doing? Well, yeah, I was going to say I'm doing pretty good, although I have a stabbing pain in the back of my back uh, at the moment. But, you know, hey, uh, have RankCast will power through Game Face on.
1: Absolutely. Talking of stabbing pains, uh, we should probably talk about some of the football. So, We've been away for a while. I've been dealing with some family stuff. Thank you very much to everyone that sent a nice message about that. Every single one of them has been incredibly much appreciated, and I mean that from the very bottom of my heart. So uh, things are uh, on the up now and and getting back to something approximating normal. Are Manchester United getting back to something approximating normal, Ed? It does not look like it to me.
0: Yeah, I would say United desperately needed some oxygen and some painkillers right now. I rather like Anderson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Poor old Anderson. Everyone's giving him a hard time. I'm pretty sure I couldn't walk to the shops in La Paz without needing oxygen. I know,
0: but it's funny, isn't it? The the, the fat guy needed to suck on some obs- oxygen after half an hour's play. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 Not normally, that is It's just walking down to the local Tesco's in Cholton or wherever he lived. Anyway, look, United, how long have we been away? A month or so? Uh, not been good. Uh, we were just talking before uh, starting recording that it feels like all these games have bled into one. So United have played, uh, what, Burnley and Preston and West Ham and Cambridge United. And I'm struggling to put
1: together too
0: many positive comments, except... A whole bunch of positive results.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I, I have developed partly through the kind of slightly sleep-deprived, altered state I've been living through, a profound affection for the current Manchester United side. I don't know, they're they're like they're like an incredibly expensive bad news bears or something where they're, they're scrapping ever so hard, and in the end they get the win, you know. But of course, they are all actually pampered pre-Madonna millionaires.
0: Well, and that's the point, isn't it? So. Not that they're pampered pre-Madonna millionaires, but, you know, I spend an awful lot of money uh, in the summer. And and, uh, I I know this is not a fair argument to make, I guess, but there's a huge amount of talent uh, in this side, in this squad. Some definite flaws, of course, and a hugely talented, experienced, knowledgeable, world-class coach putting it together. And yet, the football is universally dire. Even when United are winning games, it's been dull. There's been the row about Long Ball Gate, Upton Park. It's it's kind of conservative. <laughs> uh, it, it, the the tactics seem to change. Even if even if he's been playing this 4-foot-2 diamond uh, pretty much over the last month, which everyone asked for, the style of football doesn't seem to have improved. And there's all these things you think. This isn't Manchester United. This isn't how we're supposed to play. What's going on here? This isn't the United way. Yet, what is it? One defeat in 19 games. United up to third. Not too many points behind City. Into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. You know, that that second half of that narrative is all positive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. People often say about me that I'm optimistic about football. And it's not really true. I maintain, like, I don't know, I predicted a draw against Preston because I honestly thought that would be the result based on our away performances recently. And with a little bit of the wind in a slightly different direction, it easily could have ended up being that way. But I do feel weirdly optimistic about something developing. Like... Out of these four games, it's not good enough, obviously. what's that? Nowhere near good. I'm not saying it's good enough by any stretch. But there's been, against Burnley, there was a really solid, exciting 20 minutes at the end. Incidentally, after he we went to a straight 4-4-2, basically. Same thing against Preston, right? When Young came on for Falcao and he stuck Fellaini on up front. And they weren't plopping in long balls to Fellaini for most of it it wasn't agricultural by any means but it was kind of direct and straightforward football but it looked really exciting for a little 20 minute spell there and it's interesting because you say that everyone's been calling for the 4-4-2 diamond but no one has been calling for it with Wayne Rooney as either the the holding midfielder as he was when Blint went off injured in whatever game that was or on the left or right of that diamond
0: Well, no, and he's been universally dreadful in any of those midfield positions. So I I know we're the anti-Rooney cast or or whatever it is, but uh, I can't remember the last time he actually put in a decent performance, not even an acceptable performance. I think he's just a very poor midfielder, I'm afraid. And, you know, over the years, I think we've we've, uh, we've flip-flopped around on Wayne Rooney, you know, calling for him to play 9 and 10 for a long time. I think I was... Uh, bang in favour of him playing at 10 because I, I felt he'd utilised his skills both in terms of sort of spatial awareness and running at players and, and starting deeper. Um, it didn't really work out. I'm not sure that his best performances were there. Really, in truth, his best performances in 10 years at Manchester United have all come at number nine and then moved him to eight and he was pretty poor. His, his pass completion rate is very low. He doesn't create chances. He doesn't take any shots. He doesn't score goals. He still tries the Hollywood ball. He doesn't seem to pick the right players out. Uh, his game intelligence just doesn't seem to fit the role at all. Funnily enough, I think his best game when he's playing midfield over this period was actually when he played in that defensive midfield role because he actually did a pretty good job in that role.
1: Yeah, and, and it was interesting because Van Gaal afterwards, it was a real uh, did Moy steal your phone moment about Van Gaal because he was like, oh yeah, a well, game change when we put Rooney in central midfield and like when I read the headline about that I was like oh my god he has turned into David Moyes but then you actually read the quotes and it was just like no I obviously don't want to play Rooney there but we needed him there for balance and it worked so that, that's fine you can say that um the Van Gaal thing is fascinating to me he's just not getting the best out of our best players but he is still getting a lot out of our not best players Young once again looked really good when he came on for that little cameo Fellaini has been very effective battering ram. Uh, he's using Marowan Fellaini perfectly, it's like it's not exactly glittering praise. Is it? It's just like, yeah. When when it's not working, he's sticking Fellaini on up front and uh, hammering the ball at his chest at high speeds. Well, yeah, so, fantastic. You
0: know? I mean, and the, the, some really odd use of tactics uh, in many of the games. So uh, in the FA Cup game against Cambridge, uh, just a really strange balance. To the side where Fellaini effectively started on the left wing and came in, so this was this was League One football all over from United. I mean, I guess you play to the team, don't you? You face, but Fellaini, the tallest man in the United side by you know feet. Uh, started on the, the sort of outside left, and then diagonal balls were hit at him, and it was very effective. Uh, really, not very pretty, but very effective. And United were really—I mean, we were—we were arguing about it on text message, going that, that he's playing left wing. And you were like, no, he's not playing left wing. I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's—he's play- he's playing up yeah, front. I, well, I think the, the starting the position was left, and he was coming in. So, um, but. And it was clear that that was a tactic to hit, hit him with a diagonal ball. It just felt like a complete mess. And then then in the second half, United you know, actually scored fewer goals in the second half and, and played a much more cohesive form of football. And, and and it's been that kind of pattern over the weeks, I think. So there's been periods when United have played very, very poorly and have actually been quite fortunate not to concede. So much of the West Ham game, for example, and Burnley, I mean, our outpassed by Burnley, you know, clearly outpassed by Burnley, outcreated in a way, and much of the West Ham game. And and then in those games, he's gone back to what feel like back to basics tactics. And you know, maybe much as Fogie used to listen to the RankCast, maybe Van Hal is listening to the RankCast too, because I, I said a while back, I think we ought to go back to a, just a simple shape. What I actually meant was you look at the squad and you go, well, that's a 4-2 Three one type typical Premiership formation, and we should just go back to what everyone knows while we're settling in. Actually, it went really back to basics and went for straight four four two. Let's lump it
1: upfield. The, the thing about the Cambridge game was it really felt like he had identified a specific weakness in Cambridge. That's what it, it really felt like that to me because he do, he has not been starting with Fellaini up front and lumping it to him. You know that really was unusual for United to start like that. And one thing that I keep seeing people call Van Gaal's stubborn and i feel like it's crazy the only thing you could say that he's done which is in the realm of stubbornness is is maybe the handling of her if that is to do with some minor personal difficulty but if it is actually to do with something a bit more serious then then who knows but like he's changed things constantly, you know, and then the crowd hated the back three and a couple of games later he changed it up and, you know, Di Maria playing up front really wasn't working, so he changed that Falcao and Van Persie really wasn't working, so he changed that, you know mid-game, that one, and presumably we won't see it again for a while, the two of them playing up front together I don't know, it, it feels like you can't say he's getting stuck in his ways and not trying things, can you?
0: No, he's trying He's trying lots of things. I don't think Stubborn's the right thing at all. I mean, the, the Herrera situation is frustrating because... So so my analysis of the situation is that Van Gaal is not confident in his back four and has tried various ways to protect the back four, either by effectively playing a five or, or by playing uh, deeper players in midfield, more cover in midfield. And then the other major weakness is that he has no combative midfielder or no sort of very direct, energetic midfielder on the defensive side uh, and then up front, no pace at all, right? So he's constantly trying to compensate for these. And and by compensating in one direction, he takes away something else from another part of the team. Uh, And the biggest criticism, I think, is not that he's stubborn, but that he's always changing. And there's there's they're really I'm not sure that he's ever going to find the balance that he talks about and it's become a cliche, hasn't it? By constantly doing that. It feels like he should build from a base. And this is me talking as an observer and a fan and not a coach, of course. But that feels the right thing to do. And then the second part of this sort of commentary on stubbornness is, well, you know, you're missing that balance in midfield. You're missing that energy and that pace and that creativity and, and the one player everyone feels could add that um and he's not a panacea but could add some of that is is Herrera and it's been bizarre that he's been so on the fringes while United have been trying to solve all these myriad of problems
1: yeah I mean absolutely and the thing about that situation is that the thing with Van Gaal is he's a very intelligent man You know, whatever his personal flaws are and whatever the difficulties he's having at the moment and difficulties he's had in the past, his intellect is very clear for all to see. And he's he's a teaching coach and all this kind of stuff. So he knows that. There's something going on, and I wonder whether we're kind of, we're entering the phase where there's no longer something going on, and actually Herrera is going to be properly incorporated into the side now, because, you know, he scored more goals than Di Maria this season, Herrera has, <laughs> um, which obviously isn't a metric of any particular merit in and of itself but it's just sort of like Herrera is one of our most important players every time he plays and this isn't lots of people comparing it to the Kagawa situation but it's totally different to the Kagawa situation because no one's saying change the whole team around to build it around him to get the best out of him we're just saying wait a minute isn't he the solution to this bit of the problem that is right there on the pitch right now you know right so so uh, one commentator the other day said that Herrera's problem is that
0: he doesn't take control of the game, you know, i.e. I, he's not Paul Scholes. Well, no, he's not Paul Scholes. And uh, when we talked about Herrera in the summer, I said, I, I feel that people will end up being disappointed with him because he's not an impact player. And, um, uh, you know, he's a player that's busy all over the pitch. He does many, many things good. I'm not sure any of them are truly outstanding, although his passing is very, very crisp, isn't it? and the fact that he rotates the ball so quickly and gets about the pitch, I think he's just a great addition to the United side. And if anything, I think my opinion of him has increased over the season, even though he's not been playing uh, very much, because I think in the here and now of this particular squad and the balance that we have, he's an ideal player for the United side. And it would have two other effects which are really important. One is, if, if Rooney's got to be in the side, he's got to play up front right we know that now he's got to play up front so Herrera in the side means Rooney plays up front and the other is that in Falcao who's shot or cannot just cannot perform at the level that we want him to partly because the team doesn't give him the opportunities partly because his pace has gone that five yards that five percent is definitely gone and then Van Persie's in a 20 month long slump with just a few games of spark but in all honesty there's very little movement there. You know, so the other effect of Pereira on the side is potentially United would move to a system that only one of Van Persie or Falcao plays, or perhaps none, and that might actually the best be the best option right now.
1: I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? But the... I think there is an argument to be made that the biggest problem United have got at the moment is centre-forward. That bigger than the centre-back problem, bigger than the lack of balance in centre-midfield is the fact that the centre-forwards are so horrifically out of form. And I'm talking about Falcao and Van Persie because they're the only people with significant time in that position. I mean, Falcao... I maintain my staunch position as a Falcao apologist, you know, in terms of the future. And I think one of the absolute horrendous things about this situation is he's going to score so many goals for someone else next season. You know, we're going to spend a year acclimatizing him to the Premier League and he's going to get his fitness fully back. And then he's going to, be somewhere else when does
0: it does it really take eight months to get your fitness back this is this is why i think that the problem is like longer term i'm not sure he's he's the same player as he ever was but
1: i think he had a he had a month out during that eight months longer than a month out with the calf problem and you know his his wife or his partner's just given birth to a baby and just today as we record this or yesterday and it's like this is huge. This is like, so on Saturday, when he's playing, he knows his wife's just about to give birth. His fitness has been all the way over the place and his confidence is absolutely shot to pieces. And I'm totally stealing this from someone and I've got no idea who I'm stealing it from. So I'm really sorry to whoever that is. But I read something that someone wrote it was very good about. Falcao is an intuitive centre forward and Van Gaal's long-term history of problems with players who are very intuitive. Um, And that all Van Gaal's coaching methods are based on kind of reducing the level at which you play on your intuition and increasing the level at which you play on your intellect. So, Falcao's got all this going on and is not being allowed to play to his strengths, either in terms of the way the team is providing for him or the way he's being coached. So... I don't know. I am not convinced that Falcao's physically shot. I'm just not convinced about that. I think the ball doesn't bounce off you every time you get it because you've lost a yard of pace, you know?
0: No, but the fact that he's not getting into positions to score... Uh, and in, is stretching for those balls coming into the six-yard box, box and missing them is because he's lost a yard of pace. Right, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Right, so the ball bounces off him because he's, he's got no confidence and I don't know, maybe his touch wasn't ever that good. It, it was better than this, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ball, I mean, it comes to something when his first touch is worse than Wayne Rooney's. And I'll tell you what, it comes to something else when I say this uh, and and Rankast listeners hold on <laughs> to something. <laughs> But I think United would be a better side with Wayne Rooney up top on his own. Yeah. Uh, right now, in the here and now, I think United would be a better side. And, and I, I think that should happen. That do- doesn't mean, you know, Wayne, Wazza, sorry, mate, doesn't mean that I'm suddenly an apologist for you <laughs> and everything is forgiven. It just means that right now, uh, I think United would have better balance, uh, T.M., Louis van Holt, 2015.
1: <laughs> For the whole of 2015, he's just like going to sleep going, better balance, better balance, better balance, better balance. That's right.
0: <laughs> the trainer coach is saying better balance. Uh, I think, you know, it would just be a better side. Uh, and in that way, you could get Di Maria and Mata and Janizai all into the same side and Blint and Carrick as that protective shield in front of the back four. And all of a sudden, you've you got a team that looks balanced there, right? Or, or maybe it's not... Maybe it's not Blint and Carrick, maybe it's Herrera. In and one line. of maybe. them, yeah. Yanazai, maybe it's Herrera. Yeah. But there's any combination of that feels like a, a team that is not without its flaws, but is one that is going to give you a level of performance that you'd be confident that would take United into the top four by the end of the season. And, and really, that's all that's going to count. Having said all of that, of course, having said all of that, Van Gaal's right because... United are winning games and, and United are in the top four. And it doesn't mean they'll be there at the end of the season looking at the fixture list, but right now he's right and I'm wrong but I still think that side would give United better balance.
1: Yeah, and, and this is the thing, isn't it? Because this is all total, massive footballing first world problems, because i haven't been beaten for such a long time, but it's coming. You can't, and and also the fixture list is about to get tough as well, isn't it? It's not quite there yet, but it's coming. Winter is coming, you know. All the big teams are coming to town, or we're going to their place, and that's, you know, that is going to be a test, and actually, like, we've, we've not put in a bad performance against a big side all season. All our bad Performances have been against mid-ranked sides or, or much lower-ranked sides, and interestingly enough, Preston. The Preston game was not bad by any measure. I think there were there were big problems with the Preston game. Falcao was really, really awful in that game. That's his worst game by miles, I think. And there's a thing that keeps happening to him, which is that he gets the ball and the defender comes into the back of him and he falls down and the ball bounces away from him and he doesn't get a free kick. And you can see him being driven to despair because his whole career, he's turned his back, felt slight contact, gone down and got and got a foul for it because he's played in leagues where that's the norm. And it just isn't here. You know, he's just not going to get those fouls. So you can see that that's like part of the whole problem. But anyway, um, the pressing game, we were pretty functionally, we, like kept the ball really well. And unlike every other game we've played recently in the first half, they didn't have a chance. And if it wasn't for a kind of calamitous bit of positioning from old January player of the month, Tony Valencia at right back, Preston wouldn't have got near a goal, you know? So I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's any great shakes that we, we stopped Preston from nearly scoring, but we battered them in that game.
0: No, although they had, they had more shots than United... Yeah, the but
1: ch- just, chance just saying, you know. chances, though, like... Target. I mean, honestly, can you think of a Preston chance in the first half? It, it,
0: N- nothing too significant. I, I mean, you know, just pointing out that, you know, they did create quite a lot of chances, not good ones. Um, so, look, I actually thought United weren't too bad in that, that game against Preston. Uh, not great, by any means. They no. actually gave the ball away quite a lot, you know. 20% of the time, they're giving the ball away. I don't think that's good enough for 65% possession, but not so bad. I... I There were definitely worse performances over this period. One of the things that does concern me, though, so if you look at the analysis of both United chances created and United chances conceded, there's a very, very tight correlation between chances created created chances conceded and then points gained right it's it's a really good correlation and and basically you look at that analysis and go united are picking up more results than they should do on the basis of the number of chances conceded and and gained and that the narrative that i've heard many people say that well what happens when united start playing well you know this is the optimistic narrative that says well you know you're going to start playing well it's going to start clicking and then we're going to get some great results the data might say that actually what is happening is is that United aren't playing very well and just getting a little bit lucky. They're not conceding as many goals as they really should do given how many chances they're giving away and that maybe it's not a case of United clicking but the other teams clicking and the results start going downwards while the performances stay the same and that's the pessimistic uh, view of the world. Uh, and then overlay on that, the fixture list, which you know, after the the next three fixtures does not look good at all. So you might go away to Swansea, not an easy game, although given Swansea's performances, you know, up and down this season, mid-table at the moment. Home to Sunderland, you'd expect a victory. Away to Newcastle, again, another interesting game. And then this this run of Arsenal in the Cup, Spurs, Liverpool, Villa, well, you know, let's not worry about that. City and then Chelsea and then away at Everton. Uh, and that's that's a pretty tough March and April, isn't it? And it would have been worse, bar for that cup game against Arsenal, because the Premier League game against Arsenal has now been shifted back to the second-to-last game of the season. Talk about what might be a Champions League playoff game.
1: Yeah, well, if we've got to play anyone in the Champions League playoff, we should play Arsenal, right? No, I mean, presumably they will lose whatever curse has been put on them by Alex Ferguson and be able to beat us again eventually. But anyway, I I think it's really interesting, that thing you said about chances and clicking. And I think, you know, presumably the theory is that when we click, it will be very different in terms of the number of chances we create. But also it it isn't bad luck or poor performances by other teams that have, have kept our chances. Chance, chances conceded to goals conceded so low it's a combination of those things and the absolutely staggering form of David De Gea which is you know the consistency now and he has improved that like there's no doubt he's better this season than he was last season and he was superb for almost all of last season so it's I'm in that key.
0: Yes, rather, unfortunately, he let one you know, roll under his body. At the no, interim. I
1: mean, that. That it would have gone nowhere. He would have. He was on the way to absolutely saving that until the deflection off Valencia. There's no way that's De Gea's fault. He was going
0: 15 yards wide of goal, I think, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, I think it's a harsh analysis to say it's his fault because of the deflection. Although, the ball was under his arm, so... Um, You'd say he wasn't very far away from it, so it doesn't look very good, does it? But uh, no, I I think you're right. It's it's been it's a massive difference, right? Uh, He still hasn't signed that contract. I don't know why, because it doesn't really matter how many sponsors United have to sign, cover him in logos. They should give him the money,
1: whatever he wants. (laughs) Show him the money. I mean, it's really quite worrying. All the kind of George Mendes, the Jorge Mendes stuff with. Farquhar and De Gea and Di and all that nonsense. It's like Jorge Mendes is a scary, scary man, isn't he? It's like, how can one man have got himself into that position? Yeah, very crazy. wealthy man.
0: He's done very well for himself, hasn't he? So look, what's the sum of all this? So United United uh, got past Cambridge with a, a decent performance, were abysmal at West Ham, um, were outplayed by Burnley unfortunately and did all right in the cup you know is, is that the sum of of all the games and and through that there've been some consistent themes one is we're not passing the ball well enough we're, we're struggling still struggling to transition out of defense to attack uh, we have gone to a consistent formation it's pretty much a 442 in a diamond or sometimes a straight 442 with Fellaini up front we are playing a direct formation i know van hol waved around his dossier but the stats show that united are in the upper echelons of long ball merchants in the
1: in the premier league
0: no no they long don't pass no, they, no they
1: don't yeah, because, because like, first of all, what, first off, the first thing that anyone should do is like, you know how, like, crazy stats nerds do non-penalty goals as a measure of a striker? What, we should do non-rooney passes out to Valencia on the right wing, long balls played by United, because they should just be exempt. They're like in a different category of their own. They're artificially inflating the numbers. And also, if you look at the number of short passes we've put together, it's astronomical so like
0: well you can get all this data in in uh, in my um my weekly newsletter if you got it a couple of weeks ago so so united play a very large amount of passes so uh, only manchester city have played more passes and only manchester city have played more short passes uh, but united have played more long passes or long balls than anyone bar burnley and more inaccurate long balls than anyone Right. So maybe when Rooney's uh, at fault for all of that, I, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's definitely true that United do play a lot of the long balls. As a percentage uh, of total passes, it's in the 14% range, which is high for one of the good sides. Right. So it's higher than City and Chelsea and Arsenal and Southampton and Everton and Swansea. And or if you just look at the good sides, it's higher than all of them bar Southampton, who have a slightly higher percentage of total balls that go long so um and and that's actually not saying it's good or bad right you know i'm not making a judgment although i I do kind of think united should play in a certain way but not really making a judgment about that because actually united's accuracy with the long balls isn't bad you know it's it's not bad at all and that's the point that van hoel was trying to make it's a long pass not a long ball and they're going wide not going straight down the middle although when I heard him say that I did think well mm, the old Cambridge tactic right, under John and the Wimbledon tactic for that matter was to long into the corners because you're trying to create the chance for the second ball.
1: But hey. The the, uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting when you you break down the long ball data is how wildly it varies. I mean it's got a little bit more consistent over the last few weeks but if you look at the kind of mid middle third of the season so far it's going from 8% one week to 25% the next week based on the opposition and whether we're home or away you know we play far more long balls away from home and we play way more long balls against uh better sides um yeah
0: and i think what the real sum of all that is will can united win the premier league or the european cup playing that way you know absolutely not no chance at all right the last team to win the premier league playing uh, direct football was blackburn rovers and that's 20 years ago um, and that was an anomaly even then. Uh, maybe Leeds United before that were a pretty direct side. So uh, United can't win trophies playing this way, but he's he's just being super pragmatic. He's saying this formation and this style of play will get me enough points to get into the Champions League. And it's all going to be proven out by those points. That's that's it. I mean, by, by going super pragmatic... He's risking alienating people. I'm not sure he has yet, but well, you know, maybe some people. He's
1: definitely he's definitely alienated some people. I can't say. And if you say something nice about Van Gaal on Twitter, like you're gonna get enormous blowback about it. You know? Yes,
0: as I said, I'm not sure Twitter is the the. Real but it world. is though. In terms of like, there's
1: there's a lot of people who are highly engaged with Man United. You know, for sure. Right. The
0: point being that Van Gaal has has taken that risk to, of alienating people. He doesn't care. He's got a super thick skin. And he believes that this way of playing will mitigate United's weaknesses um, and and uh, get enough points uh, come the end of the season. Now, that next period around March and April will decide that because if United's performances against the big teams aren't enough to get enough points, there's a real danger that uh, United won't make the Champions League. There's a five-way fight. Even if you think Southampton will drop out, it's, it's four into two places. And that's Liverpool United, Arsenal Spurs. Uh, and, um, you know, you can't guarantee any of them will fail. Liverpool are
1: playing well. Arsenal are playing well. Tottenham are playing really well. Tottenham are <laughs> playing
0: well. So so this is no guarantee whatsoever.
1: And, like, assuming Southampton will drop out is also... We've reached a point in the season where I don't really think you can assume that. I mean, they yes, they might do. But any of those teams can go on a bad run from now. But so, I mean, like we definitely can because... Yeah, we're having all these conversations with this big caveat that we're sitting third in the league, which is great, you know. I mean, it's sad that it's so quickly become great to be third in the league, but it is, you know. I'd rather we had those couple more points than all those teams below us, but but there's nothing in it between now and the end of the season, is there? You know, what is it? I think there's five points between us and Liverpool, right, in seventh. So, you know, that's, that is absolutely wafer thin. And yeah, we've had a good run in the FA Cup, but it's death or the gladioli right we can easily uh, we've been on the flowery end of that one every time so far but that can easily go uh one last thing before we move off the uh the, the the last few weeks and and move on to some questions from listeners the rooney thing was it a dive do you think it was a dive Ed? yes i do i also think it was a penalty so uh, he definitely dived
0: there was no contact yes he's hurdling the the guy he didn't need to fall over but um, the law 12 uh, is quite clear about this one. So, w- what does it say? It says uh, reckless or a, um, dangerous tackle or attempt. Basically, the, the sum of that is that he. he the goalkeeper didn't have to touch Rooney for it to be a foul. So it's a foul and a dive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I don't think it was a particularly egregious dive. The response to it was hilarious. That game, apologies to those of you not watching in the UK or on a UK-based stream, uh, featured... Maybe the worst commentary and co-commentary combination I've ever heard in my life. Maybe only the World Cups when you get uh, Mark Bright and a kind of mid-tier commentator together. That's that's pretty dreadful. But Martin Keown was talking almost universally gibberish from the start of that match to the end. At one point he said, Falcao's not hungry enough for me. I'm like... All right, listen, I'll take any criticism you like of Falcao's first touch, of his output, of the hugely disproportionate nature of the investment to the return so far. But have you seen what happens to him when he scores a goal? How can you say that man is
0: not hungry? Yes, no, I I think Kian just lost the run of himself, to be honest. I think he lost his neutrality and he was so desperate for uh, Preston to win. And, And, you know, this is me being... I I think I'm pretty reasonably neutral on this podcast most of the time. I I try to give a balanced view of things, but Keown was uh, bizarre in that it was like a fan who really, really, really dislikes Manchester United, which he might do, and that's totally fine, uh, being allowed to be on the telly and, and voice that concern because he sounded suicidal when United were up. I mean, he went from deliriously happy... Um, and laying into all the United players, Falcao and others, uh, to being really depressed.
1: Yeah. Odd and funny. And and of course, the one time he did defend United was after Rooney's dive, um, because his name is not Rooney, in which case he would have no doubt hammered him.
0: Yeah, I actually, I think that is a very pithy way of putting it, but I think that's right. I think uh, English players do get less criticism for diving. It's easy to attack the foreigners, isn't it?
1: It is. And then I did see some United fans going, oh, they're only having a go at Rooney because he's United. I'm like, "Uh, did you see earlier in the season when, I can't even remember who it was, that Phil Neville took someone to absolute task, saying I'd be completely ashamed as a centre-back if I'd done that. Uh, Someone had their legs chopped out from under them and uh, kind of collapsed and made much of a fuss about it. And Phil Neville accused him of massively diving. So it's not just United players that get that. I think that's... Gary Lineker went crazy at Ross Barkley, didn't he, as well? So
0: This is true. And, and, and I mean, look, the media coverage of it was what you'd expect, really, because it's United and United is the focus and, and Rooney really is the United and England captain. So you'd expect more focus on that than, say, for example, the fact that Kevin Davis... Didn't get a red card when he deserved about three of them in that game. So you know, I, I don't. I don't think it's a big deal, really. I think that's just kind of part of the course. But there you go. Rooney fell over when he didn't have to, and so he asked for it in a way.
1: My favourite thing in the fallout from this game has been on on Twitter, where um, WWE wrestler Bad News Barrett, who's a big Preston fan, called out. Uh, Wayne Rooney for diving and Wayne Rooney said he was going to get Steve Austin on him and then tried. they tried to book a tag team match with Kevin Davis and Bad News Barrett against Wayne Rooney and Steve Austin which would basically be the greatest thing that had ever happened but anyway a slight digression All right, should we do some uh, some Twitter questions? Let's do it. Feels like we owe it to the listeners. It's been a while. At Everyman Steve says, Should United sign Gary Balance from the England cricket team? After all, LVG said he wanted balance in the side. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Although he's a cricketer, which might limit his ability to help us. Um, at look-see here, serious question now. He says, um, I'd like to think my faith in Louis was unshakable, but he's starting to test that. Any doubts creeping in for you yet? I know it's like sort of ridiculous, but first of all, like doubt is an inherent component of faith, right? So if something is uh, faith, it must by necessity have a component of doubt in it. Just like courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is acts action in the face of fear and like faith is not the absence of doubt, it's belief in the face of doubt. Anyway, that philosophical digression aside, I just think he's gonna do it. I, I think he's I think he's building to something and I think it's not working yet. And I I basically agreed with everything you said about what he's trying to mitigate against. And he's not got the balance, ironically, the balance right in his attempts to mitigate things. But I just think it's coming. I think the problem will be is if he doesn't, if he's overestimated the ability to grind out results this season and we don't get into the Champions League, then I think it gets very difficult. But if we do, I think we, we could definitely be competing. So uh,
0: I, I'd say I'm, I'm not that concerned because his record as a coach is is fantastic. I think he will build... A very good side with this United side. I, I do think he's he's kind of you know sucked into pragmatism. Don't agree with all of it, but he's trying to mitigate against all those problems. My problem really is when you just you know strip away the history of Van Halen, and strip away all that those things that give you the faith. If you actually look at the here and now, it's not very good really. And he's making a lot of very strange individual errors. I think in selection and tactics and. And uh, how he's setting up his team and it just seems to happen a lot. And I think it's because he's still searching and I kind of feel that he shouldn't be searching still after so long in the job. That he, he should have found at least some something enough that was you know, gaining at least the sum of those parts in that United squad. If not more than the sum of those parts, but at least the sum of those parts. And I don't think he's quite done that. So, you know, it, it, am I concerned about Van Hal? I don't think so. Would I give him a pretty low score out of ten? Yeah, probably. But but it's gonna, it's probably just about going to be enough to get fourth. If it isn't, then he's in real trouble, right? Because that's all he was brought in for. Although, what would United gain from ditching him if they didn't make fourth? Uh, but it would be a disastrous scenario.
1: This is the thing. It, it would be, but to not give a second manager a second season just seems absolutely bandana's crazy. I think the Moyes experiment was definitely best averted early because, anyway, let's not do the because, but don't see how you can do that again. Because, you know, the thing about, like, oh, if it wasn't for Van Gaal's record, what would we be saying about it? Was like We'd be saying, well, this isn't working and the man should never have got the job, but... But he's had troubles before, and almost always turned them round. And generally, when he hasn't turned them round, there's been a political storm to deal with of some kind. So that's not likely to happen at United because it's not that political a club, relatively speaking. Although perhaps you could say it's going to get increasingly political as as Ferguson's the the long tendrils of Ferguson's reign continue to fade out, like. It never used to be a political club, but maybe it will become one. But anyway, I just uh, yeah, I'm 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 still pretty sold on Van Gaal, and, and partly it's just because I think he's really bright, and it's always interesting to see what bright people do with situations like this. And I I think I don't know. I'm surprised it's as bad as it is, but when you look at what's happened, it's not such a surprise because there are a lot of things he wouldn't have budgeted for. He probably wouldn't have budgeted for neither Van Persie nor Falcao being able to score goals. He probably wouldn't have budgeted for the ridiculous defensive injury crisis. And I bet he did not realise how terrible Johnny Evans was, because like me, two seasons ago, he believed him to be in the top 10 defenders in the
0: world. Yeah, yeah, that's rather unfortunate. Hey, look, we've all made mistakes with with our claims in the media, haven't we? So... That's right up there in the top ten biggest mistakes <laughs> in the world of football punishry ever. You should do that on the Bleacher Report.
1: I will. Um where do you want me to put
0: Paul Le Guin on that list? Paul Fine Manager of Oman. Look at look at the <laughs> look at the performances. <laughs>
1: Um, I was reading, rereading Sockonomics there's a really funny bit where it, go, it talks about how basically Leon's success was done in spite of managers rather than because of them the whole way through, because the managers were basically interchangeable, really made me chuckle in context, anyway, and a one for older rank cast listeners there Halvard Hordvik says, will we win the league now that Young is back? Probably not No, I don't think so, it, it was interesting He's he he
0: put in a very good what, 20 minutes against mm-hmm. uh, Preston at the weekend, Burnley in." Which one was it? Preston. Preston, yeah, that's right. Uh, stuck him out on the left wing, pretty old-fashioned,
1: uh, got balls into the box at work. Yeah, and, and he then finishes off with also basil or coriander. C- coriander all day, every day, son. Coriander is the king of the herbs. There is no herb finer than mm. coriander. Uh, and Except for basil with its light, fragrant sweetness. <laughs> yeah, all right. You want to take light, fragrant sweetness over a kind of incredible, pungent, kick of flavor and kind of exoticism on your taste buds yeah yeah basil's all right uh, basil's good basil's great but coriander is top tier
0: gonna have to disagree with you there i'm afraid good oh, that's fair yeah. enough
1: fair well, enough yeah as, as, as always we can just <laughs> agree that i'm right <laughs> sure no no i'm going down with this one <laughs> Like, I'll agree to disagree. I'm happy with that. This is a subjective matter. Interestingly, some people really hate coriander or cilantro, as it's known to American cousins, because it tastes really soapy to them. And uh, scientists have identified that that's genetic. There's a gene that people that hate coriander share. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was. Intelligence. Um, I think that's the gene, isn't it? <laughs> Do you, are you a, a proper hater? Do you hate coriander? No, no,
0: it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. fine. I, I just think... Uh, I I associate it with uh, curry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's why it's great. Which which is not one of
1: the world's finest cuisine. What? Man, this podcast is over. (laughs) What's this incredibly crazy talk we're hearing? Next you'll be telling me you think David Moyes is one of the world's finest managers. At underscore Taylor Ben says, "Are we really giving LVG criticism for what Fergie did for so many years, grinding out results without playing well?" I read a really interesting Miguel Delaney column uh, on the subject of this grinding out results without playing well thing, and he said it's being so badly applied to this United side because the whole point of that was teams that play brilliantly all the time and still win when they're not playing well. <laughs> you know, as opposed to just teams that never play well but for some reason get lucky and win.
0: Well quite yes and and those years when United kind of retrenched away from the full-on flair of the late 90s um, there were still pretty successful seasons under Fergie and that's not quite happened at
1: the moment. And also we constantly hammered Fergie for how boring football was I think pretty sure I remember that.
0: Right yes and I don't think it was anything as bad as this I don't remember Fergie lumping
1: it up to the big man up front. <laughs> Um, uh, the, the same person at underscore Taylor Ben says lacking a leader in midfield who would you get Kevin Strootman 1998 Roy Keane or Captain Holt from Brooklyn 9. You definitely want Terry from Brooklyn Nine-Nine in the middle rather than Captain Holt, anyway, because Terry's like, you know, nobody's going to mess with him, is, is he? I, I, I just answered this question to make that point about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the best shows on television at the moment, but also to say there's no way in all that is good and holy we should be signing Kevin Strootman in the summer now.
0: No, uh, knee injury again. So uh, clearly we're going to move on from him to apparently, okay, good and Who's got no injury problems whatsoever? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, no, clearly Keane 98 would be the, the selection from all of those. I, I think United do have a problem, though. You know, clearly, he is after that ilk of midfielder, so an energetic, potentially ball-winning, box-to-box, um, can give United a bit of oomph in midfield. Uh, and it's not obvious which one, because the, the big names, Gundogan was great two years ago. Been almost permanently injured from then. Uh, Streitman had a really serious knee injury and a relapse. And Vidal's had his own injury problems. Plus, it's a massive, massive fee to get him. And I guess the other one you might think of is is Paul Pogba, sort of all action midfielder, perhaps more on the offensive side than the defensive side. Uh, another huge
1: fee and some baggage to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the one that I'd have if I if I was just allowed to pick one. But sure it's somewhat more complicated than that. All right, two questions in one here. At Fish Doll, first of all, saying, should Ander be a regular starter, and if so, who would you bench? And then uh, I really like this one uh, that came in from At That Trafford Kid. It says, somebody please tell Van Gaal to put Herrera where Rooney plays, Rooney where RVP plays, and RVP where Herrera sits. <laughs> that just made me really laugh. Um, yeah, I think you drop one of Falcao or Van Persie. Uh, put Rooney up front and play Herrera in midfield, right? That's what mm. we... I think I answered this one earlier. Absolutely. Yes. Um, at Jack K Holt says, is Chris Smalling the actual worst? Chris Smalling got a who scored 10 for his performance <laughs> against Cambridge. I don't know if you saw that, Ed. Yeah, yeah. Now, th- this is where <laughs> statistics
0: are wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because, yes, he scored twice and that was great for him and uh, and all of that. But what a mess of a defensive performance. It was schoolboy stuff. Him and Evans. Complete calamity. But he scored twice.
1: There's no way I'm having Chris Morning the worst because I, I know I was a big Johnny Evans fan and hopefully this is a form thing, but it's been going on for a very long time now. Uh, I would have Chris Morning over Johnny Evans in the side every day of the week and twice on Sundays.
0: Yeah, John, like saying Johnny Evans... The problem is form. Is like saying gangrene is just a little scratch on your leg.
1: <laughs> All right, last roundcast question of the week at NR Miller O One O Two says: Is Falcao's? I'm being subbed. Confused face. Worth his loan price? IYG. Yes. The the thing is. I couldn't really see what number it was on that board on telly either. That board looked not that great, and maybe there was a, a fine mist or something, but yeah, Vakal uh, certainly looked very disappointed to be coming mm, off. I,
0: I think his short-sightedness might explain a few things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the problem is his first touch, right? There's nothing really else wrong with his game, really. Uh, anyway. He's,
0: he's not getting the chances because he's not getting in the right positions. His pace and zip seem to have gone. I mean, you know, him has been VP yeah. Running in treacle most of the time. And his first touch is abysmal. There's there's, there's a few more things than just his first okay.
1: touch. Okay, I'll give you that. But if you could just... And he's squinty-eyed <laughs> because he's blind. <laughs> I love him, though. I said that was the final question, but no, one from at captain's armband who says, which of the current Manchester United squad would both the rank Cast presenters most like to get a Valentine's card from? And uh, I just want to include this because I want to know if you've got a good answer for it.
0: I don't. I want one from Louis van Gaal. It says ed you are my valentine i'm sorry for all the long balls
1: <laughs> by the way let's meet and have a chat and you could give me some tips yeah that would be good um I don't know it's a difficult question really I feel like I, I kind of want to pick someone that maybe hasn't got that many Valentine's cards so I could send them one back cheer them up a bit someone who's you know maybe a bit down on his luck at the moment and is also you know a lovely chap who uh, takes pictures of himself with dolphins so yeah Falcao I'm I'm having one off Falcao although it'll probably miss when he tries to deliver it and it'll go to the house next door instead something something or he'll drop it because first touch something 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 anyway never mind no, we'll just ignore that. So, um, Manchester United face Swansea next at three o'clock on Saturday, which should be a cause for celebration. But, uh, sorry, I want to watch it on telly, so I'm a bit disappointed that it's three o'clock on Saturday. Uh, we have to travel to a foreign country, some nice European travel for you for, uh, know, <laughs>
0: the, the only euro away we're getting this season, yeah. Sure, I mean, Swansea makes results this season, they're said up to ninth, so. Not so bad, you know. Gary Monk's doing a decent job there, but they lost it at West Brom last week. They were home to Sunderland, uh, but then they went away to Southampton and won. So, yeah, that one
1: that was daylight robbery. It though. was,
0: it was daylight robbery, but. Um, you know, good result, a very good result for them, and they also lost in the FA Cup. So and then got smacked by Chelsea before that. So yeah, a bunch of mixed results. I suppose that's kind of what you'd expect from a mid-table side, isn't it? So
1: yeah, and it's leaning, it's leaning towards the terrible as well because without that Southampton result, which is was sort of freakish, I think they'd they'd be in a bit of a twelfth. They'd be twelfth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so. so
0: yeah, not great, but they're not going to get relegated this season. You know, they're not 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 that many points away from you know presumably being safe, and and so I think that's enough for them on their budget. I mean, they lost uh, the main striker, Wilfred Boney, over the the winter period. That, yeah, clearly, that's not going to help them. But um, I think uh, Monk's doing a decent enough job. They they still play pretty much the same system of football. Um, they do play a lot of football on the ground, so it's going to be interesting United going there and lumping it forward. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Swansea like playing all the tippy-tappy stuff. For uh, need to start then? Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, so what are we going to get from United? We we can't honestly expect suddenly for United to start no playing magic football. You know, this this is not heavy metal football of the... Borussia Dortmund kind going to come up is it United are going to be pretty cautious they're going to be out of the old Borussia Dortmund kind because well
1: actually <laughs> yeah I was going to say we're pretty much playing Borussia Dortmund football at the moment yeah,
0: they're an interesting one actually similar digression similar question on Dortmund on the chances created and and conceded uh, just the other way around they should be scoring a lot more goals than they are but they're not
1: Yes. And, and you think it, you think it will come as well. I, I, I suspect they will not be relegated. And lots of people delighted in saying, Oh, yes. See, Jürgen Klopp was a fraud all along. It's like, no, he wasn't. He's just managing under ridiculous circumstances. And yet they've been, uh, they've been worse than they should be this season. But my goodness, you, everything that that man achieved with that club doesn't dissipate because of this. Well, quite.
0: Um, and so back to the game at Swansea. Uh, I, I don't think you can expect a fluid performance from United. It's going to be more of the same. And, and I, I'd expect that Swansea will have a lot of the ball. United won't be very good, will be a bit frustrated and disappointed with it. Swansea may even, like, take the lead. But uh, if necessary, the big man will come up front and will knock a few balls in and it'll be enough to get a result, you know, maybe maybe even a victory, and because Swansea's form is pretty up and down. and uh, And... That's what we can expect, and if United get three points out of doing that, then everyone will say, "Well, that's okay because we're chasing fourth, and that's all that counts." With thirteen games to go,
1: well, not everyone will say that. I'm sure lots of people will be very unhappy as they were after the Burnley game. So
0: that brings up uh, a question I had in my mind, right? So this debate around kind of style of football versus the the points, right? And they're not mutually, definitely not mutually exclusive. And in fact, if you if you look at the the trophy winners over the years, style of football. Counts. Right, if there's any correlation, teams that play good football, uh, attacking football, and create a lot of chances win games, right? Um, but at what point do we stop making that argument, right? So, if United are chasing the Premier League next season, having qualified for Europe and get a few more. Uh, players in and whatever strengthen and chasing the premier league and 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 louis starts playing long ball football do we go that it's all right then does he if he starts playing kind of pretty negative football or shutting games down or scoring the first minute start shutting games down Mourinho esque because i tell you what he's a bit Mourinho esque at the moment is that all right as well so how far does that debate extend i
1: think it's a really interesting subject and i can't help but think that any success that he has at United is going to be with a better style than than is on show at the moment. Because the real problem, the real problem isn't the style of the football, it's the execution of the football. Like, the, the, if we were playing the style and were defensively solid, and I don't just mean in that, in goals conceded, I mean in chances conceded, because we remain ridiculously frugal at the back in terms of the number of actual goals we concede. But, you know, if if this style was being executed properly, we would not be conceding the number of chances we're conceding, so I think the real problem isn't one of style, it's one of quality, and the best of our football has been fun to watch, it's just that's only happened for tiny moments, because we are not a hoofball side, like we, yeah, we are the big discussion and, and we're playing a lot of long balls, but we are playing tons and tons and tons of possession football as well, and some, like, you know giving Di Maria the ball and letting him run at players is exciting to watch you know so I I, I...
0: it is when Fellaini comes on and and everyone just kind of gets sucked into to hitting the big man and I guess that's the problem it's the yeah absolutely easy answer and uh, it shouldn't be Uh, even if uh, Fellaini is far more useful to United this season than last season um, I think it's it's running us down the wrong route. But anyway, that's another digression in a show of many digressions, I'd
1: say. One of the things that I'm very sad that we haven't done a podcast about, because I really wanted to say this on the podcast, is that it is very worthy of note that 100% of the time Manchester United have played away to teams with West in the title. Daily Blint has scored a very late equaliser. I wish that that was a more useful statistic, that there were more teams with West in the title because he would score more goals. But a nice quirk of fate, nonetheless. A very enjoyable moment at Daily Blint, equaliser, I thought.
0: Yeah, um, and he's done all right when he's been on the side um, with Carrick. Yeah,
1: decent-ish. Decent-ish,
0: yeah. He's still got the same old problem of, of players running past him. And I think that's it. He's just, he's always going to be a decent-ish Player.
1: Yeah, um, but he could be part of a really good side, I think. I, I think you could find a role for Blint in a really good side, uh, just as you've been able to with Carrick. Like, Carrick might be a level of class above Blint, but I'm not 100% sold on that idea. Blint's, you know, at the end of his career where he could... I mean, I mean he's at, at the, the side of his career where he could definitely develop further. I'm not sure Carrick at his age was a better player than he is, so Carrick's kind of a late bloomer, wasn't he? His best seasons. But anyway... A debate for another time because we've uh, we've done what can only be described as a podcast. There, Ed,
0: it, it was a podcast. It was it was kind of strange. Uh, I, I've not had this feeling of podcastingness <laughs> for for at least ooh, three
1: weeks. Yeah, so I hope. I hope that this means we'll be able to get back on track and do some podcasts in a row that will depend on on circumstances beyond my control. But where it's possible, we will definitely serve up a Rantcast for your ears. If you want to get hold of us between now and then, you can get Ed at United Rant and me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter. Both of us at Facebook.com slash United Rant. Read what Ed has to say on UnitedRant.co.uk. Read what I've got to say on the Bleacher Report. And if you want to donate because you like the show and say thanks that way uh you can at unitedrant.co.uk slash donate and a massive thanks to producer tom as always for doing such a spectacular job with this bad boy
0: that's great uh let's hope for three points against swansea um i i reckon mara and fellaini in the 95th minute from a punt from david De Gea with the assist <laughs> so one nil for united
1: i'm going with a two all draw <laughs> two two all draw for me um yeah, let's see if uh, see if he can't add Wales to the list of places where Dudley blunt has got a late equaliser. Very good.
0: See you next week.